This week on the Sports Initiative podcast, I sit down with founder of Non-Perfect Dad, Richard Shorter. The organisation looks at providing support to clubs and parents at creating collaborative working environments. He focuses on implementing scaffolding and how you can create a cyclical process to support young people in high-performance environments. As always, if you enjoy this podcast, please make sure you share it with friends and family. I hope you enjoy. Right, Richard, I know we caught up a little bit off, off air there, but um, yeah, how are things in your world? Are you all good? Mate, do you know what? Things are exciting for Non-Perfect Dad and also exciting as a dad because uh, this Saturday my son had his last ever school game of rugby, but he drove himself there. So I didn't have to do the last Saturday sporting run for my elders, which is a really weird feeling i mean it was an away game if it was a home game i probably would have gone and watched it but it was that kind of like flipping heck they grow up really quickly cliche and now he's taken himself as he's passed his driving test so this is his last year of school so no more the uh yeah no more the taxi and more just a uh paying spectator if you do go along and watch i guess <laughs> mate no no more six thirty alarm clock on a saturday that is the that is the joy part of it but yeah it's a bit of it, it's it's a bit of a kind of sad but both joyous moment. I'm really chuffed with with who all of my kids are, but particularly, um, I suppose as he reaches that adulthood stepping stone, it's a real opportunity to reflect, and it makes me think. You know, from a non-perfect dad perspective, um, he's he's playing local sport and enjoying it, uh, but there's that transition phase for parents um, in high performance environments, and I'm supporting a lot of those. But actually helping a child who is now an adult is an interesting transition, particularly as they then transition into some interesting and challenging environments. If they continue their football or hockey or rugby or cricket journey into um, into the adult setup at whatever sport that they're doing, because that cross that threshold crossover is huge. So while at home you're feeling like they're getting loads of independence, they're probably leaving what is quite a useful nurturing environment to the starker, harder realities of adult sport. No, for sure. And I think that, as you said, the transition at that point is a big one. You go from kind of making decisions under the watchful eye of mum and dad to if you end up going to uni or going to men's sports teams or women's sports teams and having that there. So, yeah, really interesting time, I think, for, for everyone. I think for people that maybe don't know you, don't know your background, you just want to give them a bit of, a, I guess, an oversight as to who you are and what you what you do, I guess. Thank you. Well, mate, it's a real privilege to be here. So, yeah, my name is Richard Shorter. I wear two hats in life. I'm a Baptist church minister in a place called Upminster in Essex, and I run an organisation called Nonperfect Dad. I've spent 20 years working with families in multiple organisations. In my early youth worker days, we uh, spent a lot of time delivering parent support, parent engagement at the sharp and ugly end of safeguarding, partnering with the local authority. And then seven years ago, we um, uh, we, I, started a business called Non-Perfect Dad. And to be honest with you, I thought it would be primarily working with families in crisis and supporting social service departments and training social workers in that area because that was an area of expertise that I had. But I fell into the sports world 
and I kind of haven't looked back really. And now Non-Perfect Dad primarily specializes in supporting high performance or high performing environments, academy uh, pathways in helping reflect on their parent engagement in helping parents reflect on their engagement with both the institution and their children. And a growing part of my work is helping young people think about their, how they manage their parents and engage with their parents and their coaches. So I kind of, in a rather obnoxious way, call myself a conversation architect. And the the aim is to support better conversations in environments which are high pressure for young people and parents particularly, and in environments which when we're not often coached as to how to have complex conversations and to hold the complexity of the nature of those environments with one another. So, for example, I get asked to do lots of talks around exit, uh, exiting, being released from a pathway, uh, but I also get asked to help clubs reflect on what that process looks like for a parent. Uh, most people in performance pathways work ridiculously hard, and that means that they can be sometimes perhaps not as self-aware or institutionally self-aware of the impact that they're having on parents, on players, uh, as they try and seek to develop young people to get the most out of opportunities that they have, whether they stay in that environment for a long period of time or whether they're just in that environment for a couple of years. I think we all just want young people to get the best out of that experience for their development um, and a skill set that becomes transferable both on and off the sports arena. Yeah, I think you've provided a really nice oversight as to kind of why you're on here. Having myself worked in one of those environments that you're discussing, I think that we're becoming increasingly aware of the importance of um, supporting those young people before, during and after their time with us and how you can help them become good people and then hopefully good players off the back of that. And as you said, parents are a really important facet within that. I guess for a starting point for me is when you came up with the idea of needing to support people or individuals within this space, why do you think it was so prominent to you that, that there was support that was needed? Well, I suppose it was an act by accident, really, mate, to be honest with you. I started a small business because uh, my wife and I were leading a church in a very deprived part of East London and we needed a second income. And uh, I was a sports dad. You know, all three of my kids took part in grassroots sport. Um, and so I was thinking, where are dads primarily? Because mums, for various reasons, I think were easier to engage with in my work. But I was like conscious, where are the dads? What are dads doing? Where are dads? And I thought dads are on the side of the sports pitch. So I did a few things at my local gymnastics club and um, rugby club that my own children were involved in. And they went down really, really well. And then I started reaching out to big organizations to learn because I thought, oh, maybe this is somewhere I could go to. Let me find out what the the big players in this scene are doing what are premiership rugby um football what are um uh, like in national hockey sides and that what are they doing in this area and it turned out that actually whilst there was a lot of good people with a lot of good intention the reality is the provision for parent engagement was was either poor or non-existent so i kind of fell into an open door really and um 
And then I suppose because I sounded like I knew what I was doing, I'm not sure I do, but because I sounded like it, um, I got instead of going and learning from these places, a lot of these places turned around and went, oh, actually, we've got 100 parents turning up on Saturday. We don't want to bore them. We know we sound a bit lectury and a bit dull. Can you come and give a really good interactive piece of education that will help parents reflect and grow and, and develop? So, yeah, that's kind of that that's kind of how it started and um uh, now I, I mean you know i love it in fact being in the sports place it seems an obvious place for me to be i've always played sport i'm still a grassroots coach myself i i, I enjoy it i've had family members play at a high performance level so i can see from fairly close distance what that does to families both in the positive and in the challenging um so so yeah so that's that's why non-perfect dad exists for a couple of days a week in in this space I think if we break this into two, we can obviously go around the family core, the parenting core, and go down the club or institution route. So if we start with that one, from your perspective, what does a someone who's a leader in this space who does this type of thing well in terms of parent engagement, parent support, um, you know, parent education, etc., what key characteristics they have to make them good in this space? That's a great question. I think, look, I have the privilege of going to a huge number of organisations and I see really good practice in lots of places. Um, uh, there are many organisations that put a lot of those pieces together. That, I suppose, would be my one slight frustration. But what what is the key good principles? Um, firstly, I think it is that institutional self-awareness. So if we take uh, what we call Cat One Academy Football uh, uh, places so most of our, the premiership football clubs would have a cat one academy football most of the badges and the track suits that the members of staff wear have a logo on that is immensely emotive and powerful for the families and young people that come into that space and if an institution isn't self-aware as to what that power dynamic is with families and young people um, then they can Land up assuming that everybody is going to read every word of every email and everybody's going to be exceptionally grateful for everything that they've got in this space. And that um, because of who they are, everything is going to run smoothly. Rather than saying, well, we have a lot of power in who we are as an institution. And there's nothing wrong with power. I don't think that power is either positive or negative. It's just how you use it that is that is where it can be be very good but that does mean that the power element and the expectations element means that parents are unlikely to raise genuine issues or questions that it does mean that parents and players are unlikely to raise issues which out of fear of impacting selection and so starting to become aware of that and then building in mechanisms within your structure which enable parents to have uh, and players as well, parents and players to have open communication within with their staff or the staff that they come across, for me, is like the gold dust of, of uh, parent engagement. It is, it is saying this is who we are. We recognise we have a bunch of strengths, but also in who we are, we close the conversation down, not necessarily intentionally, but but it's just by nature of who we are. And also, let's just, again, just talk about Cat One Academy. Uh, most of those people are working huge numbers of hours a week. So their whole life is thrown into being a football coach or in that institution. And that means that sometimes we forget that other people don't structure their lives every minute of the day around football. And that actually it's not very healthy um, to do that. 
Um, I would say that if um, most football clubs reviewed the mental health of their staff and the number of hours they work, they probably would suggest that it, they're probably pushing their teams too hard. So, so you put a family into that that are inexperienced and don't quite understand what's going on or nervous or in awe of what's what's happening. They're unlikely to say, my child's suffering a bit of bullying here or this um, we're uncomfortable about the lack of time we get about what happens on a Saturday because, do you know, actually grandpa's really ill in hospital and we need to juggle that at the moment. And so how can the club work with this? Most of the staff that I meet in these institutions, if you, if a parent actually said that, would be really receptive to it, really flexible and really open to supporting that really, really well. So this isn't about saying there's poor staff in those institutions. It's about saying um, that the structure itself needs to have mechanisms which enable that. So what mechanisms would I have? Firstly, I'd, I'd make sure there's a really good uh, introduction, kind of that early season, this is what we're about. Um, I would make sure that clubs ask lots of questions about how good are our comms and the time of our comms and, and what does that look like. I would, I would think about how accessible are the coaches to parents at the end of training and before training, and also how welcome are parents in our training space. So I know lots of coaches would prefer parents to be nowhere near the training space, but parents often are. So if they are, is there a coach? If you know, if you've got a team of three or four coaches, is one of the coaches going over to just chat with the parents and check everything's okay and give some encouragement? Are coaches letting parents know what? coming up so for example if the coaches have planned a fixture that is intentionally designed to really stretch their team has the coach told the parents that because um because if they if their kids are getting stretched that means their kids are going to be under more stress which is good that's fine i understand that's part of the coaching process but you have a more stressed out child at home that's uncomfortable that's difficult that makes you wonder what's happening is my kids safe what's going on but if the coach has prepped the parents and said you know actually the next couple of weeks we're playing some really tough opposition that's intentional we're actually expecting to lose both of these games and here's what we're hoping the players are going to learn from that then that just gives the parents the opportunity to prepare themselves and understand what's happening and then you might even go a bit further and coach the parents into what type of conversations they might have with their children during the stress so I think all, all that's good I think lots of clubs say we have an open door policy about complaints and conflicts but I think it, with such a massive power uh, dynamic in in sporting environments that you have to push people through that open door so you have to find mechanisms to get complaints out of people I've, i hear different ways of doing that um one club i know get all the parents in the room give them a blank piece of paper and say what are we not doing well they all put their bits in a blank piece of paper and then the academy manager takes that bit of paper out and opens the first one and says pretty much yeah you're right we're not doing this very well and then takes the next one yep we could be doing better at this so a very honest non-defensive open listening kind of um discussion and uh and then they tell me that that normally the bits of anonymous paper get put away and it then becomes a, an open discussion and parents have the confidence to see that it's okay to be raising these complaints and doing that that's one way um my preferred way is through a parent reps groups i think that a parent rep group which is set up in a boundaried way and they do need to be set up in boundary ways because otherwise they become a parent committee and a parent committee 
just sets up a different power dynamic and that's really unhealthy but a parent rep group which understands that it's there to give like 360 feedback and that's a very kind of industry phrase but but actually the parent rep group are there to help parents express like did you realize that this is how your retain release process comes across did you realize you said you were going to do this but actually you're not doing it did you realize that when the kids travel to away games, they're not getting enough food and they're all hungry. So it isn't about why isn't my Johnny being picked or played, the parent rep group. The, the parent rep group is, can you tell us about selection? We're, we're struggling to understand what you're doing there. Are you trying to give everyone a go? Is it about the best team gets picked? Can we understand so that, that we know where that we're in a better place? So a well-run parent rep group, and I would say well-run parent rep group should be chaired by a parent. But the parent reps then the parent rep group then invites different staff members from the academy or pathway into that group to be able to give feedback. And then and there might be times where it's appropriate where the academy say, can this pet can this member of staff come along because we'd like to tell parents about this? And then the parent rep group can become a great way of kind of healthily gossiping um, good information back out. Now it takes great courage for clubs to have parent rep groups. Uh, most of the time when I talk to clubs who think parent rep groups are going to but don't get around to it, it's because they lack the courage to give parents that much voice. Um, and I think evaluation forms, I know in lots of pathways, their governing body will expect them to do monitoring forms and things like that. But I think a monitoring form isn't a conversation. And so a monitoring form sits in a vacuum and there's no context and you can't quite hear and they're often anonymous, which I think is a good start. But off the back of that, you then need a group of parents to help you unpack and understand what the parents meant in that, a little bit of a focus group, really. Uh, but also the ones that we're running, um, lots of encouragement to the clubs, lots and lots of encouragement to the clubs. Now, I would say very quickly, parent rep groups, uh, one of the challenges we are finding with them is parent rep groups are raising issues that players should be raising with their coaches. And so I think part of the challenge for a club is to say to a parent reps, actually, this issue should have been raised by the players. So, for example, um, a WSL Academy um, team, the parent reps pointed out to the Academy that they didn't have any sanitary towel bins in their toilets at their training ground. The club were like, oh, my word, that's horrendous. We shouldn't have missed that. And that issue was corrected. But there is in my head, and I'm challenging the parent reps, why weren't the players raising that as an issue? That is an, that is an, a significant issue about their own welfare and hygiene. Um, it's not an unusual or unique issue for female footballers. So why weren't the players raising that? What is the barrier? What is the power? Again, what is the power dynamic that's going on there to, for, for players to raise that? So you can see what our work is trying to do. We're trying to say... How do we have healthy conversations? How do we give bad news well? Um, how do we give bad news with good, healthy, realistic expectations off the back of that? Um, and, and how do we support institutions to do that um, with a level of self-awareness? Um, and I suppose a little bit of humility. Uh, it, there's more to life than their sport and helping parents navigate and juggle that and fit that in. Um, and I see some really good examples of that around the country. Yeah, I mean, there's loads to uh, dissect there. I think one bit that probably you've mentioned towards the end of that, which would, would be inter interesting to discuss, is around, I think, a longer player's journey, doesn't matter if it's eight weeks, eight months, eight years, there's probably going to be an element of bad news at some point if it's an exit or release, if it's a deselection or something like that. 
from your perspective of of the parent side and that dialogue how important is it to place the the kind of the scaffold the foundations whatever you want to call it um around why these things occur maybe some understanding of what may happen in terms of the boy themselves or the girl themselves and how they may act but also how it can actually be turned into a positive potentially um and how how young down the pathway can you start those types of conversations because obviously if you start it at under 15s with a scholarship decision at under 16s you might not you you've got 14 years of or however many years 10 years of them never having had a conversation actually this might be a negative outcome and that all of a sudden it's a big shock and then becomes an issue whereas actually you might be able to scaffold that type of conversation with support prepare the families for it so if it does then become negative they've all got the capabilities to deal with the decision um and everyone's you know understands the decision making process they might not agree with the decision but they understand the process behind it and all that type of stuff but it's a great question and, um, and lots of clubs do kind of retain release in lots of different ways and i think um i don't think there is a way of doing it brilliantly um the key components that i would say are there's got to be honesty so for example i was at a club recently who know that when the this is a football club and so basically they have to take lo- and you correct me because you know it's better than i do but i think they have to take local players to kind of like under 14s don't they and then it uh, under 14s it goes national doesn't it or something like that under 14s under 15s it goes national now the the reality for that club is when it goes national very rarely do any of the local kids survive that season so my question would be have you been telling parents that since they were under sevens and they were here because if you haven't that's not very helpful um, you don't have to be nasty about it. You don't have to every time you meet them go, well, they're not going to be here under 15s, are they? You know, it doesn't have to be like that. But it does It does several times a season need to be, we're hoping this is what we're hoping to teach your boys this year. This is what's really, really good. This is what's really helpful. Um, and, but the reality is that will happen. Uh, one of my team, her son was in the Cat One Academy and she's useful to bring along because her son was in it for quite a while. And it was like, how many of your son's peer group uh, were the same from under sevens to under 18s? And she's like, two. So I think it's it's little stats like that, just to keep reminding the parents, that the likelihood is your your assumption should be your child's not going to make it. That should be your, your assumption. But you should be building in skills for if they do make it, because the skills you're building in for if they do make it are also really useful all over the place and for any future football they take part in or hockey or rugby. So, so I think for parents, a, a, a healthy starting point for a parent is, I don't know how long they're going to be here, but I hope they get as much as they can out of it while they can. And my assumption is I'm going to have that upset crying child who has been released because I think, Oh, sorry. That's my alarm. Going. I think that is, uh, sorry about that. Um, and I don't mean that in a negative doom or gloom kind of way. I just mean that in a, um, it's okay to hold that tension, I think, of thinking, yeah, my kid could make it here, but also working on the assumption that they're not going to. And I think human beings are capable of kind of holding those two things at the same time. 
I think the danger is, is when pa- parents don't hold those two things. So when I've spoken at some very famous clubs, under sevens, under eights, under nines, parents, you can clearly see some parents' heads have gone already with the awe and wonder factor and the assumption that their child is going to be the next United City Arsenal Spurs kind of kid player. So, but there are others in the room who whose heads haven't gone and they're really open to having good conversations and they want to hear about it. So I think. Um, I think helping parents understand that in a healthy way. I think clubs celebrating the whole player. Manchester United just did something amazing um, where they just had an evening of celebrating their academy players, but none of it was about football. It was all about the achievements and the person that they are and um, the type of character traits they're playing. So I, I think clubs need to be celebrating the whole person because I think that helps helps parents understand what the kid is getting from the process a bit more. I think academies could do well at celebrating past players. And by that, lots of academies I see show the graduates who have gone on to play for first teams or play for their country and things like that. And that's great. There's nothing wrong with celebrating that. But where's also the wall celebrating that the kid who came through the academy went on to be a teacher, went into banking, went on to become a chef? Well, to become a stay-at-home dad or mum or whatever, you know. So where, so I think academies need to be celebrating the whole person and and telling that story, and telling that story well. And and the beauty of social media these days is that's not actually that difficult to get someone from the media department to go and interview ten x academy people who aren't playing high level sport or whatever sport it is, but they're still enjoying their sport. Um, they may have gone into coaching. But that's a bit of a cliche to just tell the stories of those who've got into coaching. Um, but tell good stories about people from your environment because there will be lots of good stories out there. But I think coupled with that is a deep honesty that to be dropped from that place for the kids, because I think it's really tricky to say to kids not to dream, especially when they're younger, because it's natural and they're wearing that tracksuit and there's, all their idols are walked in the same corridors or whatever is I think it's okay to understand it's going to hurt like hell. Um, and that decision may not make sense to you or to your kids. I think I think we need to be really honest about that. I do think academies can be honest earlier. I think it, it seems to me that in most pathway sports, let's take an under-16 squad, whether it be netball, hockey, rugby, cricket, whatever, that there may be four or five players, the coaches are in that squad thinking, yes, they are potentially going to go to the next level. And then there are three or four, they're thinking they might surprise us, but but our professional hunch tells us they're not. And then the rest of the squad, the, the next third, are, are not there because they're useless. They're there because they're great human beings. They're really good kids. And they're good kids to have around those players who you think are going to make it. So they are kind of squad members to help give a a higher chance of those we really think are going to make it to make it and I just wonder about the honesty of telling the parents of those players that your child is is in this year group is a squad player this will almost definitely be their last year or two years with us they may surprise us you know we never say never but so what that means is we want to prepare you for finding this sport at the next level or finding the next best environment and also gives parents ethically the choice to decide whether they want their child in that environment because of the time commitment. I reckon most will still 
do it because it's they're brilliant environments and the kid loves it. Um, but I just wonder, and mate, I'm happy for you to challenge me on that. But do you think that's a reasonable reflection of squads, or do you think coaches are thinking all of them can make it? From my perspective, I think the coaches are um, coaches know that it's a very small chance that everyone's going to make it through the pathway. Um, I think, obviously, particularly in decision-making years, they know that it can be challenging for the number of players that are going to go through. Having, again, I've been at Southampton for a decade now, so I'm not, I couldn't really comment necessarily on what external people do. I know from our perspective, we work on a principle of kind of no surprises. Um, so what we mean by that, we have, we have 12 weekly reviews with the players and if we feel like it's going to go down that route of at the end of the season, it would be a no that actually the reviews previous to that final one mm. would reflect that so that the parent and the child can see in black and white through the report, through our words, that at the moment we feel like this is a really challenging environment for them and it might not be the right environment. And it gives them an opportunity to potentially fix it. Cause as you said, it might be that actually, you know what, that year they've just really, really decided I don't want to practice at home. I've got no interest in going. I just want to go out with my mates and see girls or something like that. And then what was happening is obviously you've, you've got, um, boys all of a sudden finding out they've been released and they were like oh no I wish if I'd known earlier I would have done something about it so you give them an opportunity to reflect and act as, as necessary but that also it doesn't come as a, a surprise in terms of the last thing you want is a is a player and parent walking into the room being absolutely petrified of what's coming out the other end you'd like to think that they'd been educated up until that point of going yeah we we know that this well we think this might be a positive one or we think this might be a negative one so mm. uh, yeah I guess from our, our perspective at least it's kind of a as best we can a no surprise policy of making sure we've laid the foundations of how they've done within termly reviews or match diaries or all those types of conversations but I, I don't think that that's commonplace if I'm being honest no, and I think, I think, I mean, that's excellent. I love that, you know, no surprises thing. And I think what tends to happen is clubs might get a bit more honest towards the end of the season, but they probably could have been a bit more honest a bit earlier in the season. Um, look, that's tricky. Look, no one wants to let kids down. Um, and and most, like I say, most of the coaches I meet are good human beings. They don't want to upset somebody. And so, again, I think it's it's useful that, it's useful to role play or practice some of these conversations in house of, of how you deal with it. I ro ro role play and get parents to practice how they're going to have these conversations with their children, um, so that they feel upskilled in having that difficult conversation and what is helpful and unhelpful to say at that point in time. Um, but no, I like that. No surprises. Uh, I think. I think sometimes sports institutions think that because they make have such a great offer to kids and they do most of them give you know give kids an incredible experience that that almost justifies not being as thoughtful as they could be in that potential last six months a year 
Um, are they having a great experience? Well, they are having a great experience, but for some, that great experience is actually really stressful, really challenging, really hard work. And they might not show that in the sport environment. They might show that just at home. And so if they know what's happening, like you say, they can either modify it if they want to modify it, or they can honestly say, no, this is, this just isn't, it just isn't for me. And potentially, if we're being honest, a detriment to other members of the family because it is full on. So, you know, if they're taking little Stacy to training three times a week and the brothers sat at home with the grandparents because there's no one else and, you know, is not spending time with mum and dad, it does affect the entire family. It's not just that individual so I think that yeah as you mentioned it is it's kind of that balancing that between it is a really good experience and I, I've, I've spoken about this before there's probably two quotes I really like in this space is one of uh someone I really respect had a son in the academy and his line to him was yeah we'll go in we'll have a go at the training um have fun learn loads but just bear in mind at some point it will be another little boy's turn and say so we'll be there for however long we're there and then it'll be another little boy's turn and that was a really nice way of framing it that it's mm. you know definite in terms of the bit that's going to be there and um jamie carragher was on a podcast with a former former friend of mine fraser franks who, who did one and he spoke about um he he likens it to being like a private school he just says that it's a private school. It's really good, free education. They're not going to be a first team footballer. So get that out of your head now and just imagine of all the good experiences they'll have between going away and whatnot. And if you look at it like that, it causes way less stress to the entire family than if you think it's going to be a first team environment. I think alongside that, we do need to be honest that they are great environments, but the stress and anxiety that comes with them can be exceptionally detrimental to a young person. And I think we land up with quite a binary, I think like in social media, etc., we land up with quite a binary set of views, like either football academies are awful and nasty and when they let people go, it's heartbreaking, etc. Or we land up with, they're, they're amazing places and kids get great experiences, but they can be both those. They can be amazing and have pushed kids too hard. They can be, um, they can be amazing growth spaces, but also exceptionally stressful. Um, and, and so I think, um, I'm sure that in most of these academies, kids do get stuff out of it that's lifelong, but I also think for a number of them that there is potentially kind of, um, a level of anxiety and stress that has come with that, that is, that is quite crippling and takes some, takes some time to get over. And I think I would, I would want to say to parents and to clubs as well, look, if you're, when your kid is released, it's okay if, if that takes a month or two to get over. You know, it's not, I don't think, if particularly if there's a dream for children, they're not going to skip out the door going, oh, the dream's gone, but I can go. You know, I think um, I think it's okay to be in grief. I think it's okay to be upset. I think it's okay to be desperately sad. Um, I think that, because it meant something, which is why you put poured your life and soul into it. It takes time to readjust to a new rhythm. You know, it takes it takes time to to not have um, the sport being the centre of everything. If they um, obviously we hope they carry on with their sport, but for some they don't, and some they do, or it changes. It takes time to get used to a new rhythm. And I think helping parents understand that it's it's okay if your child's sad about this, and you can't fix that really quickly. Actually, um, 
And that's where having a bunch of good memories through the process is good to be able to remind your child of, but not in those first couple of weeks afterwards where they're sad and then, oh, but but remember, you went on tour here and you did this. That's what the kids like, it doesn't matter. It's when that dust has, that emotional dust has settled, that's when you can start having those. I know it sucks, but what was your best bit? Who was the best coach and why? What do you think you've learned? What are you going to take into the next environment? And you can start to reinforce all the good things. What have you learned? that you want to change about yourself what was not healthy what would you if you could give them feedback what would it be i know some clubs off give that opportunity sometimes what would you what would you change because you know it, it it is a challenging it's challenging for parents as well they would have stood like you say they've been to training three times a week they probably stood shoulder to shoulder with the same set of parents for three or four years that's their social circle because it's so draining and they're also ripped out of their social circle. there's no easy way of um you know you can't allow kids to keep visiting so they keep their mates that's just cruel so 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 there is an end to that and and sometimes that end um if it's through injury or whatever can come quite 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 bluntly and that it's okay and i think that's part of what we need to be saying to parents is that there's likely to be an end and that end is likely to be painful what we want it to be we don't want it to be messy and and by messy i mean like it's we're unsure we don't know what we've got out of it it came as a surprise like you like you're very wisely trying to avoid um we had we had gripes about the process but we never had a space to express those there was loads of mystery around what was happening and we were it was never explained to us so if you can remove all that stuff that removes kind of the messy bit of it but it's still going to be painful um but then how do we honor that i know some clubs are talking about giving every kid who comes into their academy a number like you you were number you were whatever up into rovers number 492 because because i think a lot of clubs say you know once you're part of here you're always part of here and and coaches will say to me you know i will see kids when i'm out and they'll come up to me and they will joy tell me what they're doing so there is a sense of yes there's the pain and that's okay but then there's the community element of being connected to that and what does that look like long term and how do we support that and then maybe some of those kids are the ones we interview in three or four years time going actually i'm at university now and i'm doing this and yeah i was heartbroken and gutted that i wasn't selected and i still am and i you know i realize now that i didn't handle the stress in that particularly well but i've learned new ways and mum and dad have supported me and now i'm here um uh yeah i think that that's incredibly important no, I think it makes sense. So that's a really nice idea. I know obviously they do it in cricket, but I think that's a really nice, as you said, mention it being in the academy the entire time. Um, one last question before I come on to our very last question, which is I hear a lot around IDPs, individual development mm. plans and stuff. And, you know, I think we've probably moved away from the space of it just being coach and player um, and understanding that parents play a really important part in terms yeah. of how they help frame home practice or how they help frame home feedback or you know can they be a really positive addition rather than the the famous one which would be you get in the car and you get um grilled and it becomes a really negative experience and then it affects how you play from your perspective is there any like top class a examples of seeing how a club has integrated that as a collaborative effort between the player, the coach, and the parents. There are certainly a few who are who are who are dabbling in different ways. I mean, I think the first thing to say is that obviously staff time and resources, even in these pathways. I mean, Cat One Football 
clubs are probably the ones with the the most staff rich and even then they don't have enormous amounts of time but certainly them and some independent schools are looking at how we bring parents into that because I think it's a very helpful way of boundarying parents in a good way but giving them an understanding of what's in their what's within their boundary so so I would I would love to see more individual development plans have a section with what my parents can do to help so and a kid might say actually mum and dad nag me about the things that's on my IEP okay well let's just say then we're not going to nag the kids about this or actually um I'd really like you said I'd really like to be able to practice this at home what can mum and dad do can mum and dad give 20 minutes a week where they do this they don't need to coach but they just need to pass the ball or catch the ball or throw the ball whatever it is you, you, you know um I think um and then you can also include some holistic stuff in there. You know, actually, um, your son's quite tired at the moment or daughter's quite tired. So actually for parents, why don't you have, we, we want to say take two days off training in the next month and do something as a family or just relax or have a film night or whatever. But I think it's a good way of fencing that parents, parent and coaches coach. So by bringing parents in, on, um, by being present, I don't mean they're necessarily coming for a meeting, although that would be like gold star and amazing. But I recognise the likelihood of those kind of resources and time and all those meetings is is very is administratively a, a nightmare. But parents are having those conversations in the car. Parents are either being supportive, indifferent, or undermining what the coaches are saying with the with their development plans. And so, if you're not helping think about how we coach parents even if it's just having a parents meeting about the plan so you get all the parents together and say this is what you're going to see on it this year and this is how you can help what's your commitment can you all email us in your commitment of what you're going to do to support your kid but it's not about football sorry it's not about coaching your bit because your bit's about providing space to switch off or understanding that we're going to have a challenging six months and this is what the challenges are going to look like. So you're going to provide um, safe spaces for kids just to offload their emotions or whatever, or you're going to be encouraging kids to come and talk to the coaches. So for example, I've said that a lot, but for an under 11, that's quite tricky. I think it's a skill they need to start developing for an under 18. It's absolutely essential. If an under 18 is at home moaning to mum or dad about something that's a club, mum and dad need to say, go talk to the coach, you know, that, although they'll tell me off, okay, let's practice it then. So, you know, that I mean, that's absolutely essential uh, because if they reach adult sport, there isn't, they can't set a note in from mum saying they're not happy. You know, it's got to be, they've got to learn how to have robust conversations and understand sometimes robust conversations won't go their way. And that's okay as well. Yeah, no, I think um, the phrase I like, being comfortable, being uncomfortable, they're not the nice conversations mm. to have, but you need to develop, a, you know, being comfortable in that space. I'm conscious of time that we allotted for this. So one last question for me, which is, um, if I were to ask the, the fellow parents that you work with in this space or the institutions you've gone into to describe you in three words, how would you hope they would describe you and why? Well, let me give you two sets of three words. My ego would say funny, good-looking, uh, inspiring. Um, I think, what would they say? Oh, that's a good question. I think they would say engaging. I, you know, I'm I'm, I'm a good public speaker. But it's a hat I've worn a lot. Um, I think they would say engaging. I think they would say honest. Um, and I, th I think they would say the sessions are honest as well. We try and captivate some brutal honesty. We do it with a lot of humour and a lot of gameplay. We're not, not out, I'm not out to be nasty, but I think we we try and get really 
honest really quickly um so that uh we can get to the heart of some of these challenges so i'll give you a, a paragraph for each word now aren't i um that's naughty you didn't ask for that um engaging honest um i would hope supportive i would hope that both coaches and parents and players feel like when non-perfect dad comes in on the whole there might be some awkwardness because we're i'm going to ask difficult conversations but on the whole i hope it's a supportive encouraging encounter Perfect. Listen, if people want to find your work or want to, you know, hire your services and stuff, where can they do that? So just Google Nonperfect Dad and you'll um, and you'll find uh, the website. And uh, I'm on all the social media tarty stuff as well. So if people want to catch up with me on that as well, that would be uh, that would be brilliant. Yeah, mate, it would be a privilege to chat with anybody who is interested in taking their parent engagement uh, to the next level perfect listen Richard, Richard really appreciate your time um, I'm sure we will stay in contact and, and catch up again soon but yeah thanks for coming on and have a good rest of your day Thanks for listening to the Sports Initiative podcast with me, Michael Wright. Please remember to follow us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram at the Sports Initiative podcast and share this podcast with friends and family. I'll see you next week.